Okay, we are, we are reading in, in Joshua, Joshua chapter 10, and we, we covered some of this last week, and, um, but let's just, let's just review what, what we covered last week in Joshua chapter 10. So, what happened is, is, um, is a number of the kings got together, and they, they heard what had happened, uh, how Gibeon had made peace with Israel. So they got together and it was, it was led by the king of Jerusalem, uh, uh, Adonai Zedek. And so you see that Melchizedek, remember, was from the book of Genesis, Zedek being the dynasty name from Jerusalem. First mention of the whole word Jerusalem. Before that, it was always uh, uh, Salem. This is the first mention of the entire word Jerusalem. And then he gathered together with four other kings, to go ahead and attack the the Israelites, and so so when um, when Joshua heard of it, he went marched all night from Gilgal. They were down here in Gilgal. They marched all night to meet with these kings that had attacked Gibeon, the, the Gibeonites here. Had attacked the Gibeonites. So this was a, a march about 3,500 feet up the mountains. And, and uh, total about somewhere around 10 miles, 12 miles, something like that, and then attacked them and then started going around and hitting up all these cities, attacking all these cities as you go on around. And, and I've been on this very path right through Israel, followed this, this attack path. And it was here, it was in this region that, that, uh, uh, that God rained down hailstones on the enemies of Israel, and more died, it said, from the hailstones than from, than, than from the sword. And then he marched around and he started hitting each of the, those cities. So as, as we read through here, we're going to see each of these cities is going to be attacked and going to fall. Each of these cities is going to be attacked and going to fall uh, from, from, from this onslaught. So let's pick up where we, where we left up, off last last time in Joshua chapter 10 we'll start at verse at verse uh, 16 now these five kings had fled and hidden themselves in the cave at Mecca and it was told Joshua saying the five kings have been found hidden in the cave of Mecca Joshua said roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and assign men to guard it but do not stay there yourselves. Pursue your enemies and attack them in arrear. Do not allow them to enter their cities, for the Lord your God has delivered them into your hand. And it came about when Joshua and the sons of Israel had finished slaying them with a very great slaughter until they were destroyed and the survivors who remained of them had entered their fortified cities that all the people returned to the camp to Joshua at Mecca in peace. No one uttered a word against the sons of Israel. So he marched through and he started attacking. And this is this town, Mecca, right here. So they had come through. They found the five kings. These five kings, they found them hidden in a cave of Mecca. Now, when you go to Mecca, you can see these caves today. They don't know which one is the caves that those five kings went in, but there's a thousand caves, many caves there. And, and it was very easy to dig a cave because... There, there are these hillsides, and so they dig into the hillside. And it was very easy to get in because the, the hills are made out of gypsum, which is just like the chalk we use on a, on a blackboard. That's gypsum. It's actually calcium sulfate. So it's very soft. It's easy to dig into it. And they could dig into this, and you go into these caves, and the walls are all white. 
And it's huge, much bigger than, than this room that we're in. I mean, huge caves. And they would, they would make the ceilings very high because what would happen, it was in a hillside, and they would make this, the, 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 the ceiling just like a dome all the way up to the topmost point. And then they, then they bore a hole that was about two and a half feet in diameter at the top. And that way they could have a fire in the cave and all the smoke, no matter where the fire was, would go right up around the stone and right up out the hole. And it used to be that the Israeli forces, the, the current day Israeli forces used to practice in this area. Uh, you, you used to have their, their, their war practices in this area. But they don't any longer. And the reason they don't is because there are still all these existing holes from every underlying cave and the soldiers would be marching and they'd, they'd be doing night exercise. They'd fall right through those holes. And, and many would get killed because the ceilings were like 20 or 30 feet high. And so, so they, would, they would end up falling through that hole. So they, they just don't do it anymore because the holes are still there. They're just covered over with brush. You can go in those caves and you can just touch the wall. It's just like touching a piece of chalk. And, and then they dig all these passageways in there. So these are the caves that they're referring to. You can see the city of Makeda. It's up on a, it's a tell. It's a, it's a built up city. It's built up on a hill because every time another city was, was conquered, if, if it went down, they would build on top of it. And now it's a, it, it's a high hill, I don't know, maybe, maybe 40 feet in height, just, just where the city used to be. And the cities weren't large. When it's talking about like a, the, the, the city of Makeda, that might be about the size of, of this city block. That's it. That was the walled area, the size of this city block. And what it says is he says that, that they found the kings hidden in one of the caves here. So they stopped up the cave with large stones and they set guards because they didn't want to deal with the kings. He says, chase them before they get into their respective cities because it's much easier to deal with them now and to kill them now before they get into the respective cities because we're going to have to end up attacking those cities and it's best if the cities don't have many of their warriors in the city. And it says that they, they went ahead and they killed many of them, but it says, and the survivors who remained of them had entered the fortified cities. Now what you will see is, is now they come back to Makeda, so it's nighttime, they come back to Makeda and they're going to deal with these five kings. In, in verse in verse uh, 22, then Joshua said, open the mouth of the cave and bring these five kings out to me from the cave. They did so and brought these five kings out to him from the cave, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. So these are, these are these, these five kings that we've listed right here. And when they brought these kings out to Joshua, Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone to him, Come here, put your feet on the necks of these kings. So they came near, they put their feet on the necks. Joshua then said to them, Do not fear or be dismayed. Be strong and courageous, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies with whom you fight. So afterward, Joshua struck them and put them to death. And he hanged them on five trees, and they hung on the trees until evening. And it came about at sunset that Joshua gave a command, and they took them down from the trees and threw them into the cave and where they had hidden themselves, and they put large stones over the mouth of the cave. Now Joshua captured Makeda on that day and struck it and its king with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed it and every person who was in it. He left no survivor. Thus he did to the king of Makeda, just as he had done to the king of Jericho. 
And interestingly, we never heard what he did to the king of Jericho, but now we know that he had killed the king of Jericho, just like he had done to the king of Makeda. And we're going to see how he's going to march on around and attack all of these different cities. The, the, uh, uh, the leader from, from Gath, this area, is going to end up, Hezer, and end up coming in and, and uh, uh, doing an attack on him. But he will wipe out their troops, but he, this will, will be conquered later by King David. He's going to march all the way around and, and, and get Debir and Hebron. What he doesn't do, interestingly enough, is he never goes and wipes out Jerusalem. He killed all its fighting men, except for the few that were able to get back. And, and Jerusalem is never taken until King David. King David, hundreds of years later, is the one who takes Jerusalem. You say, well, why didn't he finish off Jerusalem just like he finished off many of these other cities? Well, if you ever go to the city of Jerusalem, you'll see why he didn't take it. It's up on a very high hill with huge walls around it. Many of these little cities, they had walls that were maybe, maybe eight feet high. And, and uh, it would give them some small amount of protection, but very easy to scale. You go to Jerusalem and the walls are just absolutely massive. And uh, uh, very hard to attack that city. Remember when the Romans finally wanted to take that city, they would, they would have to have years of, of a, surge, a siege against that city to build up ramps to get against it. It was not something that these small fighting forces were going to be able to do. You needed very coordinated logistics to be able to take a city like Jerusalem. He killed the king of Jerusalem because he had been hiding in this cave in Makeda. But, and he killed many of the fighting men, but he never took that city. That, that city fell many, many years later. And so you see this conquest, and then he's going to march on around from Makeda to Libna to all of these different cities and march on around, and one after another. Some would take one day, some would take two days before they would fall. And so, so it says in, in, verse, uh, in verse 33 that Horam, king of Gezer, came up to help Lachish. And Joshua defeated him and his people until he had left him no survivors. So, so you, you see, here, here is, uh, uh, there, there were other attack forces coming in, King of Gezer coming in and trying to help. This is the only help that another city came, other than what we saw Bethel had tried to help Ai, and Bethel got killed, got wiped out in, in route with that. The King of Gezer, the town of Gezer is never taken. That's taken much later by King David. So, but he left no survivors of the attack forces that had come out of Gezer. So he marched on around and, and did this route here. And then they captured it one after another. They just fought and fought and, 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 uh, and all of these, these were struck down. So if we, if we read, if we read uh, um, in verse 41, it says, Joshua struck them from Kadesh Barnea even as far as Gaza and all the country of Goshen, even as far as Gibeon. So, so th this is Kadesh Barnea down in this area, all the way from down there as far as Gaza. So Gaza's here. So they never took Gaza. It's just as far as Gaza. Here's Lachish. And, and so they, would, they didn't come all the way to here, but as far as Gaza. And then, and then they, they, they went up, they went back up in this way and then back over to, uh, to Gilgal. It says, Joshua captured captured all the kings and their lands at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. So Joshua and all Israel with him returned to the camp at Gilgal. It says up in, in uh, verse 40, it says, Thus Joshua struck the land, the hill country and the Negev, and the lowland and the slopes and all their kings. He left no survivor, but he utterly destroyed all who breathed, 
just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had commanded. So it was God who commanded him to kill everybody. Now, I know in our current day sensitivities, this is just overwhelming to think about. But what I want you to do is I want you to remember that we are not to judge people from another generation. Because what happens in the time of war in another generation is very hard for us to fathom in this time of relative peace in our country. Because we have a tendency to make large judgments against people against, from other time periods. And I just want you to realize that, that uh, uh, things that you do today will be judged by other people and they'll think, how could you have been so mean and so, so cruel? That you drive in a car in a, in, in, and you blow CO2 out the tailpipe of that car, you will be judged for that in 50 years. And you'll be an old person and you say, they'll say, have you ever driven? Yeah, I, I drove in a car a lot. You drove in a car? Didn't you know that CO2 was bad for the atmosphere? Yeah, I knew that, but everybody did it. Everybody did it. What do you mean everybody did it? You knew it was bad. How could you have done that? You will be judged for eating meat, animals, because very soon, not long from now, they will start making meat in, in laboratories and in, in factories where you can just do this biologically. You can get meat. I mean, it's, it's being done today. It's not on a scale where people are eating it, but it's going to happen. And so you're not going to have to kill a, you, you know, a steer to get beef. You're not going to have to kill such a cute little lamb in order to get your lamb chops. I mean, it, 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 you're just going to get all this in a laboratory. And people, you mean you killed, you killed lambs? You did this? Bambi? You killed Bambi? You know, that little deer? I mean, that, and you killed Bambi's mother? So you will be judged for this. So this is what I'm trying to communicate to you, that you will be judged if you judge other people. In the same way that you judge others, you yourself will be judged. Very hard to judge people from other generations. Just in this class before us, there, there's the seniors class. Many of the old, those old men fought in World War II or the Korean War, where there were just horrendous things that, that had to be done in war. And you want to try to judge them on their actions of what they did. I mean, they, they were just surviving. And, and uh, um, so these men were surviving. But we want to see why is it that God had ordered the wiping out of these people because he was bringing in Israel and he didn't want them corrupted by the land. But there was great warning. So I want you to look in the, in the book of Leviticus. In the book of Leviticus. So this is a, a book that, that, that comes uh, um, j- j- just, just a few books into the Bible. And the book of Leviticus, this entire chapter talks about uh, 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 the laws of morality and the sin of the land. He says, like in verse 1, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do what is done in the land of Egypt where you lived, nor are you to do what is done in the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their, statu- you, you shall not walk in their statutes. So he says to them, What's done in the land of Canaan where you're going is... is uh, Really bad, bad stuff. And so you could read that entire chapter, 1 through 30, just picks out the, the, the things that, that uh, he talks about, which I don't even feel good reading about all this stuff publicly in this class. I mean, it's, it's just, you, you think that, that a lot of the gross things that happen in society today have just been discovered in your generation? No, you read Leviticus chapter 18 and you will see that, that way, way back, that these things had, had, had been done. But let's start reading at verse 20. 
You shall not have intercourse with your neighbor's wife to be defiled with her. You shall not give any of your offspring to offer to Molech, nor shall you profane the name of your God. So what they would do, they would take their children and they would offer them up as a sacrifice to their gods and kill their children in the process. He says, I am the, I am the Lord. You shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. You shall not have intercourse with any animal to be defiled with it, nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is a perversion. So this just gives you, I'm, I'm just reading a few of the verses here. You can go through and read how serious this stuff was. Now, he says in verse 24, Do not defile yourself by any of these things, for by all these the nations which I am casting out before you have become defiled. For the land has become defiled, therefore I have brought its punishment upon it, so that the land has spewed out its inhabitants. So, from God's perspective, and remember, God is allowed to do this. This is why He's God. This is why we say, hey, that guy is playing God. Because we understand that God's allowed to do this type of thing. God is the one who's bringing judgment. God is the one who says that this is an unacceptable practice. God is the one who defined it for people in that time, in that generation. For us, in the New Testament, if we call ourselves Christians, we are bound to follow the teachings of the apostles in the New Testament. That's what we bind ourselves to. We are no longer under this law, the Mosaic law. We're not under it because there were many other parts of the Mosaic law that we're certainly not bound to. You're, a man was never to touch a woman if she, was, if she was having her period. So in other words, we would never shake hands. And you talk to an Orthodox Jew, they will never touch a woman's hand. But a man is never supposed to sit in a chair that a woman has sat in who's having her period. It's in the Mosaic law. I mean, this, is, this makes it kind of rough. I mean, this is, it's hard to live like that. We are not under the Mosaic law. You can't pick and choose. Well, that part is okay to obey. That No. Either you're under the law or you're not under the law. And Paul urged us in the book of Galatians, you don't want to go back under the law. But what we're under, or we're, we're under the commandments in the New Testament, and they can keep us quite busy. There's over 150 commandments in the New Testament. And you can read those. If you call yourself a Christian, then there should be the desire to obey those commandments. If you don't cause your, call yourself a Christian, you are autonomous. You do whatever you want. But if you want to follow the teachings of Jesus, you read the New Testament, and we are bound to follow what is in the New Testament. So, this is what, what was spewing them out of the land. And, and uh, so, if, if we look now in Deuteronomy chapter 9, Deuteronomy chapter 9, and, and so, it, he's, he's, it's, he's not saying that uh, uh, you're getting into this land because you're so much more righteous than everybody else. That, that's, that's, not, that's not what, he, that's not, uh, uh, what he's implying. So, in, in uh, I'm sorry, it's not Deuteronomy chapter 9, it's Deuteronomy chapter 18, Deuteronomy chapter 18. Reading from verse 9. Deuteronomy chapter 18, reading from verse 9. When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those, those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes a son or his daughter pass through the fire, one who uses divination, one who practices witchcraft, or one who interprets omens, or sorcerers, sorcerers or one who casts a spell, or a medium, or a spiritist, 
or one who calls upon the dead. For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. You see what it is? He says they were practicing this occult practices. This is another reason why I'm driving them out before you. For those nations which you shall dispossess, listen to those who practice witchcraft and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to, to do so. So here is another reason. There, was, there were these acts of immorality. There was the offering up of the children in the fire. There were occult practices. And I'll tell you, if you mess around with the occult, you think, oh, this is, this is kind of fun and everything. It will catch you up. I have dealt with a lot of young people who mess around with the occult. It starts with very simple, seemingly innocent things like a Ouija board, and it works its way up. And I have dealt with people who practice this, have moved right on up to the point where they would hang themselves, kill themselves over pentagrams, draw a pentagram, and just kill themselves. The, the occult will bring bad dreams, will bring in bad practices into your life. And if you've ever practiced it, you ought to repent of it. You ought to repent of it. It is nothing to mess around with. And God warns them about this. He says, this is another reason I'm dispossessing them from, from that land. I'm dispersing them from that land. And so then, then, if, uh, um, then if you look at, in, in uh, uh, Genesis, Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. So we're reading, why, why would God have proclaimed such a thing on them? Well, let, let's look in Genesis chapter 15, and, and we'll look in verse 13. Genesis chapter 15, verse 13. Now, this is many years before. This is before the children of Israel had even gone into Egypt. This is something he's saying to Abraham, or Abram, even before he called him Abraham. God said in verse 13 of Genesis chapter 15, Then God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. So what he's telling Abram is that your children, your descendants, are going to be in the life of Jacob. You have Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob. So in the life of your grandson, he will be transported into Egypt. Then they're going to be enslaved there for 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. And as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete." So Abram is in this land. In fact, Abram used to set up shop here in, in, in uh, Beersheba. This was Abraham's hangout. And what he took, right down here in the south, uh, ben, ben Gurion University is here right now in Beersheba. And, uh, and I've been here many times, and they have the, the southern station is where I go to. That's where they, they, they are very good at learning how to purify water and conserve water and generate uh, electricity from the sun because they have plenty of sunlight down here. So anyway, so th this was Abraham's area of hangout. So he says, I'm going to bring you back here in the fourth generation. So 400 years after they go into, into uh, uh, Egypt, they're going to come back. For the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. So in other words, he says, they are an iniquity. I am giving them a chance to repent. God is long-suffering. He gave them 400 years. From the time he's speaking to Abram, remember, Abram lived a long time, Isaac lived a long time, and then they go into Egypt, Jacob lived a long time, so this may even have been 600 years from the time he's giving this dream to Abram in the book of Genesis, till the time that he finally dealt a blow, a, a final death blow to the Amorites. 
God had his fill of the sin that was going on. And so you think you're long-suffering because you'll, you'll be patient with somebody for five minutes. Why is God judging them like this? How long, how long do you put up with things? Like five minutes maybe before you get really angry with your roommate? I mean, I mean have you ever put up with anything for 600 years? God put up with this for 600 years. He gave them multiple chances to repent because we see when they come into the land, what do they say? Rebe- uh, 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 um, Rahab said it to them in, in uh, Rahab said it to them when, when they came into Jericho. The kings here said it of them that we have heard what God did with them in, in, in Egypt. We had heard how, how they survived in the wilderness. We heard how they conquered the two kings on the other side of the Jordan. Within all of these things, they never even responded. Again and again, God was crying out to them and displaying to them His power. And still they were not repenting. Still they were not repenting. It wasn't that he just left them to their own devices for 600 years. He kept showing them his power through the children of Israel for 600 years. And now the death blow was coming. That's what was coming into, in, in, into the land at the time. So you see that this gives us a picture as to why he was wiping out that generation. He says, because if I bring you in there and you get exposed to those people, you're going to pick up their practices. This is why I want them wiped out. You are going, the world is going to be blessed through you, through your lives, and we have to clear it out. That's what he's beginning to say. That's what he's beginning to teach them. And God begins to work in their lives. And so, I want to go back to to this verse in, in Joshua chapter 10. Joshua chapter 10. So, He's speaking in in, in Joshua chapter 10. He says in verse 8, he said, The Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not one of them shall stand before you. Now, if we flip on over to Joshua chapter 11, he says says something else very similar. There's going to be a bunch of kings that we're going to read about next time from the north that are going to end up banding together to try to kill off the Israelites. And in verse 6 of Joshua chapter 11, it says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid because of them. For tomorrow at this time I will deliver all of them slain before Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. To hamstring a horse made the horse so that you couldn't use it in battle. It couldn't run, but it was still fine for domestic use. And to burn their chariots with fire. Because in Deuteronomy 17 he said, I don't want your kings massing up horses and massing up chariots and building this up for themselves, or else they're going to depend on themselves and not depend on the Lord. And he said to Joshua, he says, do not be afraid. Just as he had said in Joshua chapter 10, he says, do not be afraid. God again and again tells us not to be afraid. But interestingly, the way he deals with our fear is through fear. And let me, let me point that out to you. In, go to Matthew chapter 10. So this is the way he deals with fear. It's a very interesting way. In in Matthew chapter 10, and and we're going to be reading from verse 28. Matthew 10, 28. He says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy the soul and body in hell. Look at this. Do not fear those. Fear me. That's what God says. You overcome fear with fear. It's a very interesting way. He says, don't fear those who can kill the body. Fear me. 
God says. Because I can kill both the body and the soul in hell. Fear me. He overcomes fear with fear. He does the same thing in Jeremiah. Turn over to Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, and uh, 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 the prophet Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah is just about the age of everyone in the, uh, of, of most of the people in this room. He's just a young guy, and God is going to send him to be a prophet. And in Jeremiah chapter 1, he says, Before I formed, in, in verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. So God comes to him as a teenager and says, You are a prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah's like, Me? talking to me? Verse 6, Then I said, Alas, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak because I'm a youth. But the Lord said to him, Do not say, I am a youth, because everywhere I send you, you shall go, and all I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. So, so Jeremiah says, I can't do this, I'm a youth. He says, Don't say you're a youth. Well, I am a youth. He said, Don't say it. He said, don't say it. Don't keep calling upon yourself your own weakness. You just, you just don't say it. That's what he told them. And then if you, if you turn on down to that, in that same chapter, in verse 17, he says to him, in Jeremiah chapter 1, this is the call upon Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 17. Now gird up your loins. That means pull up your pants and arise and speak to them all which I command you. Do not be dismayed before them, or I will dismay you before them. There it is. Be afraid to be afraid. Do not be dismayed before them, or I will really dismay you. I mean, that's the way he speaks. That's what he says. He said it for a reason. And I'm telling you, you can call this. Call this. And, and, and I have meditated on these verses in times when I was really afraid to get up and speak in front of a crowd. God has told me, do not be dismayed before them or I will dismay you before them. In other words, if you're going to be afraid, I will really make sure that you be afraid. You stand up there and you give it to them. You do this. Do not be dismayed before them or I will dismay you before them. You be afraid to be afraid. He says, now I behold, I have made you today as a fortified city, as a pillar of iron and as a wall of bronze against the whole land to the kings of Judah, to its princes, to its priests and to the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they will not overcome you, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. So look what he says. He says, I have made you today as a fortified city, as a pillar of iron and as a wall of bronze. And I repeat this to myself. I am a fortified city. I am a pillar of iron. I am a wall of bronze. And I imagine this in my mind and I keep saying this to myself. And then I just go into these situations and bam! I mean, I'm just going to hit them with the power of God. It is not me. It is God's promise upon us. You take the Word of God and you apply it to your life. You say, well, that was said to Jeremiah. It wasn't said to me. You read the New Testament. All the New Testament writers, what they do is they pull a verse out of the Old Testament that applies to that situation and they apply it to that situation in the New Testament. This is exactly the way we are taught to take a verse from the Scriptures and apply it to our own lives. This is what every great man and woman of God does. You take a verse from the Scriptures and you apply it to your own life. I am a fortified city. I am a pillar of iron. And I am a wall of bronze. 
I did this when I was in prison ministry. I'd just be, you know, scared. I'd have to get up and talk to huge crowds of men that, you know, I, I, I'm not in the hood. I don't relate to those people in that way. But the Lord would have that for me. And I had to call this upon myself. And I, and I would say, Lord, I will not be dismayed before them, lest you dismay me before them. But I am a fortified city. I am a pillar of iron. And I am a wall of bronze. You call this upon yourself for the tasks that you feel are difficult for you. You call it upon yourself because this is the promise of Scripture. He told Joshua, do not be afraid. They will fall before you. What he tells us is a stronger word. He says, do not fear them. Fear me because I can take people and throw their bodies and their souls into hell. Fear me. Just don't fear those that can just, just uh, uh, deal with the body in that way. And I want you to turn to John chapter 12, and we're going to close with this. John chapter 12. And we're going to start reading at verse 24. John chapter 12, verse 24. And the context of this is many people are coming into Jerusalem and they're asking to see Jesus. And they're coming from all over the world and they go to His disciples and they ask to see Jesus. And Jesus knows that his time has come. These people are filling Jerusalem. They're filling Jerusalem because they're filling Jerusalem to be there for his crucifixion. Remember, the Gospel of John is not written in chronological order, but that's where they are in John 12. And Jesus says in verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. For he who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there shall my servant also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. He says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. You want to have a fruitful life? There are times when you die to your own flesh, when you're called to do things that take you beyond yourself. I can't teach a Bible study. I need to be taught myself. Well, if you're being called to teach a Bible study, you get your Bible and you get on your knees and you say, Lord, begin to instruct me because I have to instruct others. And you call upon God to begin to fill you. And you allow Him to fill you and instruct you so you can begin to instruct others. Unless you learn to die to yourself, to your own desires, to your own passions, you'll, you re, you'll remain by yourself alone. But if you die, you're going to bear much fruit. If you love your life, you will lose it. If everything is about us, we will lose out. It's when we learn to give to others that we retain our life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Jesus was on his way to the cross. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there shall my servant also be. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. The God of heaven and earth will honor you. I don't know how He will honor you, but He will honor you. He may honor you with death. He may honor you with life. I don't know. But He will honor you. If you follow Him, we must come to a point of saying, I will not be afraid. I will walk in what God has for me and I will conquer by His hand. I will not be dismayed. I will be a fortified city. I will be a pillar of iron. I will be a wall of bronze. And you march around your room and you call that upon yourself. That's what you do. I have done this many, many times from the time I was your age. I would be called to speak in churches. I was just a kid. And they called me to speak in churches. And I would just take this and I would walk around my room and just call this stuff upon myself that I will speak the Word of God with boldness and I will do it. 
and God brings you up because Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is expected. And you take the little bit that God has given you and you use it for His glory and He gives you more. And that's the parable that He gives us. To whom much is given, much is expected, but also to whom, to to the one that was given ten talents, He was expected to get ten talents more. To the one five, five talents more. The more you got, the the more He gave you, the more you got. The more you used, the more you got. The more of it you use, the more you got. If you take what He's given you and you hide it in the ground, hide your shekel in the ground, then what will happen is you will never be able to progress. If you take what God has given you and never use it, you will never experience His power. It's when you take what He's given you and you use it for His glory and then He gives you more and more and more. I've seen this in my life. I've seen this in the lives of many. This is what He calls us to Do not be afraid. Be afraid to be afraid. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You so much for the truth of Your Word. Lord, I thank You for these young people and I pray that You fill them to overflowing with the truth of the Word of God, that You would use them mightily, that they would not be afraid of all the things that life throws at them because your grace is sufficient. Father, I pray that you would take these young people and fill their hearts to overflowing. Fill them with the Word of God. And Father, that as they serve Jesus, that you would honor them. That you would so honor them. And Father, I pray that they would take your Word and make it a treasure in their hearts. Draw them to Jesus. Father, for those here who do not know You, who have never accepted Jesus in their hearts, Father, I pray that they would say this very day, Lord Jesus, forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. Forgive me because I am a sinner. Lord, Your grace and Your mercies shower upon these young people, I pray, for the glory of Jesus. Amen.